Why don't you open your Bible tonight to Ezekiel chapter 2. We are going to look at verses 1 through 7 before we share the Lord's table tonight. Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, it's a study that we're calling Rebels Without a Conscience. There's a certain romantic fascination with being a rebel. I know there is because ad agencies use the images of the social rebel to sell their products. One of the current TV ads for MasterCard features a young Marlon Brando in a scene from The Wild One wearing jeans as a rebel motorcycle rider. It's for their promotion to win the perfect pair of jeans. You want to be like him, a totally cool rebel free spirit in an otherwise conformist world. Unfortunately, this rebel attitude can creep into our walk with the Lord. We can get tired of conforming to the expected Christian norms. We can begin to test the limits of our liberty, taking on habits and participating in activities that are on or over the edge from a Christian point of view. But you know what happens when a Christian acts like a rebel in his or her walk with Jesus? They end up just conforming to the world. Christians see them on or over the edge, but the world looks at them and says, welcome back. Where have you been? It's not really edgy to just do the things that the world is doing. They're not rebels in a romantic sense. They're rebels in a pathetic sense. In our text, the Lord Jesus is going to call Ezekiel and commission him for his ministry to the Hebrew people. No less than seven times, Jesus refers to the Jews as rebels or rebellious or as a rebellious house. And here's something else along those lines that is somewhat startling. In verse 3, the Lord will refer to them as a rebellious nation. He doesn't call them my people or my elect or chosen or anything intimate or endearing. He simply referred to them as a nation, as if they were just one of the other nations of the world. Though the Jews remained and they remain God's elect, chosen people, they were behaving as if they were just another nation in the world. They were acting like the Gentiles surrounding them. Their rebellion against God had led them to conform to the world rather than using them to transform the world. We want to be transformed, not be conforming to the world. We want to see others transformed. And so let's see what we can glean from Ezekiel's experience with the Lord. We begin, of course, in verse 1. And he said to me, we saw last week that this personage on the throne riding this cloud chariot with the cherubim is none other than Jesus Christ. He said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Now we left Ezekiel on his face before the Lord. It's the only possible response to the vision he had of the glory of God. There are times when physical posture can be expressive of your worship. Kneeling for prayer or lying prostrate on the ground in awe of God come to mind as well as raising your hands or simply standing in His presence. When it comes to posture at public meetings, we like the solid advice of the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 14.32, he tells us that, and I quote, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. One of the things he meant by this is that we can and should exercise a measure of control 
over ourselves when in public so as to not cause attention to be directed toward ourselves and away from Jesus. So we look at our meetings and we determine what postures are most appropriate to bring the most glory to the Lord. People might say, well, look at Ezekiel. He was overwhelmed by God. He couldn't help but fall down. That's true. But if you look at Ezekiel, he happened to be alone. And he was doing business with God alone. This vision came to him in particular. If you want to make a comparison, I, mean, I think you know, this is kind of an unusual comparison to a regular weekly church meeting. Uh, but if you want to make a comparison, then let's go all the way and say he was alone. Uh, and and uh, you know, didn't, they weren't in the midst of a worship service. Uh, they didn't, you know, it, it just came to him. And of course, he saw the Lord and fell. And so our take on this is to be ultra Pentecostal at home and to be ultra considerate in the meetings of God's church. Uh, and so Sunday mornings, we like Sunday mornings to minister to as many people as possible. We have a lot of visitors, a lot of guests, uh, a lot of unbelievers. And our purpose is to share the word of God in a way that is understandable uh, and to see people's lives touched in that way. And so we are a little bit reserved on Sunday mornings. We're actually pretty wild for some groups, but we're very, very reserved for uh, many groups too. We're somewhere in the middle. Uh, then uh, Wednesday night here, we encourage you sometimes, hey, you know, this is more of our family of believers. It's more of a believers meeting. Not that unbelievers aren't welcome here or that we don't have visitors, but it is more of an intimate time, we feel. And so, uh, you know, if you can kneel or stand or raise your hands during the worship, I mean, we encourage that. Uh, if, if you feel that posture would improve your worship experience and if there's something that doesn't draw attention to you and away from the Lord, then we're happy with that. We're fine with that. Uh, and so that's, you know, and, and the biblical basis is what Paul said. He says, hey, you know, the Holy Spirit's not crazy. If you want to paraphrase what Paul said, he doesn't, he doesn't come and overwhelm you and possess you. There's a sense sometimes you get from people that the Holy Spirit just possessed them. And, he, and, you know, they started doing all these crazy maneuvers and stuff, running and jumping and, you know, uh, doing that. Paul said, no, that, that's not what happens at all. He said, you know, well, we'll get there in 1 Corinthians, you know, and he says, you, you know, I, Paul says, hey, I, I speak in tongues. I speak in tongues more than all of you, nanny, nanny, you know. But, but I do it in order if I'm in church. You know, if you want to do it, do it all you want at home. Speak in tongues until your lips are chapped. You know, I mean, do, do whatever you want at home. It doesn't matter. But when you come into the church, he said, and there's a meeting of the church, he goes, maybe two, three, four people. And let's wait for an interpretation or ask for an interpretation at least so that everybody can be edified because when the church meets together, it's not just for me. It's not about me at all. It's about edifying one another as we exalt the Lord together. And so, uh, posture. And so before we leave verse 1, please notice the title, Son of Man. It occurs over 90 times in Ezekiel. The only other Old Testament prophet addressed as son of man is Daniel. In the New Testament, of course, it's a favorite title of Jesus for himself. In the case of Jesus, it underscores that he was, in fact, fully human at the same time that he was fully God. Applied to Daniel and Ezekiel, it's intended to emphasize their utter dependence upon the Lord. They were mere men but men whom the Lord could and did use mightily. We see this in what immediately follows now in verse 2. 
Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. Now, this is really uh, interesting to me and probably the critical point, you know, for tonight. The Lord commanded Ezekiel to stand, but he could not stand until the Spirit entered him and then God set him on his feet. And so in analyzing this, in looking at this, we would say that God commanded him to do something he could not do in his own strength, but then immediately enabled him to do it by the power that was inherent in the word that he spoke. And thus we are fond of saying, you've heard me say this before, doesn't originate with me, but it's a saying that we like, God's commands are God's enablings. God's commands are God's enablings. So here's, here's Ezekiel. God says, stand up, something he cannot do. He's on his face before the Lord, overwhelmed with the glory of God. You get the sense from the wording that he can't get up. Uh, he can't do it. But as God speaks the word to him, he is able to do it. And so that which he cannot do in his own strength, he finds himself enabled to do in God's strength. If you are a believer, you can do everything God tells you to do in His Word. Uh, You can love your wife the way Jesus loved and loves His church. You can submit to your husband as unto the Lord. You can raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you're a child, you can obey your parents. Uh, You can be a good employer, a good employee. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You can do everything that God tells you to do in his word and and though there are though we make points and and you know uh, talk about processes and all of those kinds of things the most important thing is and how do then how do I do it, it it's the, it's the, that you do it and so people say well how do I love my wife the way Christ loved the church God enables you to do it what do you mean how how do I do it? how did Ezekiel get up God spoke his word and lifted him up off the ground. Ezekiel didn't say, okay, that's great. Now, how do I do that? Which leg do I move first? And then do I use my right hand or my left hand to brace myself while I'm getting up? Or do I just jump up all at once? Uh, Do you understand what I'm talking about? Ezekiel didn't need a Bible study on how to get up. Or what God really meant, or what five point, what were the five points of, of alliteration, you know, in terms of getting up? Uh, he just he was enabled to do it, and and we need so much to just believe God and to reckon it to be so. If you find you're not doing the things you're commanded to do in God's word, there are two possibilities: you're unable to do them because you're not saved; you're unwilling to do them because you're rebelling. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's much middle ground. Now, we could also talk about those who appear to be doing what God has commanded but are really walking in their own energy. They're not really depending upon the Holy Spirit. They're not being led by the Spirit. Their trust is in their own discipline and wisdom and experience. Having begun in the Spirit, we do not want to go forward in our own energy. We must therefore remain in the attitude of being prostrate prostrate before the Lord and letting Him raise us up to walk as His servants. Uh, I guess the best way I understand this is, is, you know, where the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And what happens? He will lift you up. 
Uh, if you've ever wondered exactly what that means, I think Ezekiel is a good picture of that. He, was, he, he humbled himself in the sight of the Lord. He saw the Lord and was humbled. And then God lifted him up. And so that's, to me, if there's a key or a technique or a process, that's it. How do I do these things? Well, I have to humble myself in the sight of the Lord. I have to believe I cannot do them in my own strength. Part of the problem, I think, is that we do so much in our own energy and our own strength. And God says, well, you know, you can get along for a while like that. It's not real. It's not genuine. It's not deep. It's not meaningful. But sooner or later, you're just going to have to fall. And, and, until you, you realize that you can't get up on your own, but that God uh, will lift you up. And so now in verse 3, And then he said to me, Son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Now I get a sense of great compassion in this statement from the Lord. Despite all of his many promised blessings and amidst all his warnings, His chosen elect people had been rebelling against him for generations. Think of this in terms of your own children if you're a parent. You only always want what is best for them. Any boundaries you set are realistic and with an eye towards giving them the greatest possibility of success in life. If your kids rebel, you want to restore them. God was simply stating the facts. He can still do that in each of our lives. If we submit our lives to Him for examination, He can say, Gene, you're rebelling when I think I'm being edgy and walking up to the line of my liberty. Uh, And and God loves to do that as as any parent uh, desires the best for his children. Uh, And so so the Lord here, you know, he, he just, you know, Israel was rebelling. It was obvious. It was it was the truth. There's nothing else you can say. They were blowing it. But his desire really was towards them because he had promised them so many things. Uh, you know, all of the great promises in Deuteronomy. And then he had warned them just the way a parent would. Here's, here's the potential for your life. Man, if you just, you know, you, know, you parents do that. If you, you just, you know, if you just go this path and walk this way and avoid these problems, there's a, you know, you're going you're gonna to be blessed. You're going to have a wonderful life. But if you get involved over here, you start dabbling with this, hanging with the wrong crowd, wanting to be like the world, man, I, I, it's not going to work out for you. And there's that struggle to, to bring your children up in the way that they should go. And that's what the Lord is talking about, stating the facts. And then in verse 4, he says, They are impudent and stubborn children. I'm sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Those that think they are so mature they can dabble in the things of the world are really acting like impudent, stubborn children. How many of you love to be around impudent, stubborn children? Raise your hands right now. I love to be around them in stores when they're other people's children. You know, and, and you just, it's just the things that, that parents have to go through with their kids in stores, you know, and, and the, the, the threatenings and the... Uh, if you do this one more time, I'm going to give you ten more chances, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> if you don't be quiet, you're not going to grandma's three years from now, you know. You, I'm not going to buy you a Christmas present if you don't shut up, you know, and that kind of a thing. It's, it's, it's just insane, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, no one likes impudent, stubborn children. Uh, it doesn't seem like anybody knows what to do with them anymore, but no one likes that. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's... And so, you know... That, God says, these, these people of mine, 
these children of mine, they think they're so mature, you know, they, they think that they can have me and have the world at the same time and we would make application to the Christian that's dabbling in the, in the world or moving back towards the world or you know trying to be edgy and stuff and, and really from God's point of view it's, it's just impudence it's just stubbornness it's not a measure liberty in Christ by itself is not a measure of maturity I, I, I don't know when I realized this I, I mean I just when I be, maybe it's because you know we talk about life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and liberty is such an important concept and word to us politically when you start reading the Bible and you talk about your liberty in Christ you know and things that you can do and you have the freedom to do you think well the more liberty, the more maturity, right? I mean, if, you're, if you have liberty and you walk in that liberty, you must be really super mature. But liberty by itself, the, the, you know, the doing certain things that, that are, you know, Paul would say, sure, you can do that, but is it expedient? Does it further the cause of Christ? Is it helping anybody? What's it really all about? That's not necessarily a measure of maturity. And so at one point, Paul says, yeah, you know, he's talking about the issue in his day in Corinthians, which is meat sacrificed to idols, which was a good deal in the marketplace because they couldn't sell it as fresh meat. You know, it had already been sacrificed, so you could get, you know, a dollar down on it or something like that. And he says, yeah, go ahead. You know, you want to do that, but don't stumble your brother by it. Have it to yourself and God. Barbecue underground, you know. I mean, you know, don't, don't invite your friends over and say, hey, how you liking that, you know. Ah, it's pretty good, you know, after they start. Yeah, well, that was just sacrifice to Jupiter, you know, and uh, blah, you know, and stuff. I mean, you know, it's, it's and so it, there's no maturity in that. Paul said the maturity is to maybe, don't, you know, eat some other meat. Or be a vegetarian if you have to. Paul said, I'm all things to all men. I don't want to stumble anybody. And if I do have liberties, I do them to myself. Uh, And so liberty by itself is not a measure of maturity. Now the text is going to move away from the children of Israel per se uh, for a couple of verses now to the prophet. They are his audience and they will be a very tough crowd. But the emphasis is on Ezekiel, on his faithfulness, despite the difficulties this particular people will present. Ezekiel is told, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord. Two things are going on in that phrase, at least. First, this is a call to be God's prophet. Ezekiel was born, you remember, into the line of priests. He trained to serve as a priest, but he would never get the opportunity to do so in the temple at Jerusalem. You remember before his age, before he came of age, before he became 30 years of age and could actually serve in the temple, he was taken away captive. And so we, we talked to you in a, probably our first study about how, you know, born and raised and trained to be a priest, never going to serve as a priest in the temple. And for a while he had to just live in that reality. But now we see that God has a, a much different calling for him. God said, yeah, you're not going to be a priest, you're going to be a prophet. And, you know, on the surface, that seems like a promotion. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're thinking, you know, Israel and, and you know, priests, priests are a dime a dozen in Israel. You know, there's so many of them, they had to serve in courses, you know, and they only served a couple of times a year. But man, prophets, now you're, you put prophet after your name and, uh, of course, then you find out you're going to be stoned to death probably or sawn in half or burned to death or thrown in a dungeon or something like that. So it's a step up. Uh, but it's a, it's a dangerous step up. And then second, his message was nothing more and nothing less than what God said. He wasn't to add to it. He wasn't to subtract from it. 
uh, just whatever was given to him, that's what he was to say. Now, with regard to the switcheroo from priest to prophet, of course, it encourages us to always remain flexible in God's sight and service. And the only way you know if you're really flexible is when things get switched up on you and, and, and you see what kind of an attitude you really have. I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, I think I'm very flexible. And so God says, okay, well, let's, let's test that out. Let's bend you a little bit. Let's see, you know, what, what it's going to take. And, and, you know, something happens. And, you know, uh, we've, <clears throat> we've gone on lots of mission trips over the years. Uh, and we always tell people, we try to remember to tell people, hey, this is the plan, but it's probably not going to be anything like that when you get to the country. And you may not even get to the country, you, you know. And some people can flow with that, and some people get really mad when there are changes in the plan. Well, I thought we were going to do this. I thought I was going to be used like that. Wow. You know, let's, let's be flexible here. Well, this is a waste of my time. Well, yes, it is. Actually, I agree with you because you have the wrong attitude about it. And so you are wasting your time. God could be doing a great work in your heart. He could be molding you and shaping you into the man or woman of God he intended for you to be because guess what? He knew all about these circumstances, but instead you want to complain about it. Oh, I'm sorry. There's always somebody on, on these... Well, not always, but occasionally there's somebody you just want to send home. Uh, we had a guy on a trip like that years ago, and I, I had to defend him. To, you know, he was part of our group, and I said, no, we're, we're, I'll take him under my wing. I'll, I'll be responsible for him. And I was, and it worked out. Let's just say that. Now, with regard to the message, we must remain solid in the word as inspired and authoritative, meaning it is inerrant and infallible, even if we, as is becoming true more and more, remain in the minority. Uh, there's a big movement, even among evangelical Christians, to move away from the authority and the inerrancy and the inspiration of God's word. <clears throat> but we can't afford to do that. Verse 5, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. Ezekiel was not going to be judged on results. He had no numbers to crunch, no thermometer to fill with pledges. It wasn't about how many people filled his auditorium or how many were baptized. Of course, they didn't do that, but you know what I mean. Uh, it was about being a prophet among them. Numbers and achievements aren't bad in and of themselves. It's just that they must be produced by a genuine move of God and not from our own efforts. Uh, if there are numbers, that's great as long as they, they flow from a move of God and that we're not just trying to uh, you know, get them. Now, let me say a word about prophecy. It means to speak forth the word of God. It can, of course, be predictive, as we often think of it, but it's really just speaking forth what God has said. Now, I totally believe that there is to be a prophetic sense whenever God's word is taught. By that, I mean it is God's message for you right now, where you live, where you work. You should always have the expectation, at least, that you are going to hear from God, that He will, by His Spirit, through His Word, talk to you, talk to me personally. Sure, you are learning about God in general. You're learning doctrine and history and ethics and many other things. There's a sense that you are studying the Bible as if you were in a classroom setting. But simultaneously, you must have the sense that the Lord is in our midst talking to you personally. You are not just learning about Him you are learning of Him, learning from Him. 
I took this so seriously that I always listened to every Sunday message more than once and every other message my pastor taught as much as I was able to. I wanted to know what the Lord was saying to me through the prophetic word as it was taught. I figured that if God led me to my church, then He would speak to me from its pulpit. Now, that's not to be exclusive. It doesn't mean, I mean, you know, I was also listening to dozens of other, uh, you know, Bible teachers and reading books. I mean, there's, you know, we're not getting weird when we talk about stuff like this. But I I think that, you know, I I used to feel this way and I think it's true. I think, you know, God, if God goes through the trouble of leading you to a particular fellowship of believers uh, and and everything is kind of good there and then the word is being taught, then he's going to talk to you there through what comes through that pulpit. He's going to minister to you. And so you don't want to miss that. It's not an attendance thing. It's not if you miss, you know, that, uh, you you know, I mean, when we looked at Roman Catholicism in our apologetics class a couple of weeks ago, I mean, you you realize if you don't go to mass, you're not going to heaven. Uh, I mean, weekly mass is mandatory for you to go to heaven. Of course, you don't know if you're going to go to heaven anyway when you die. In fact, you're pretty sure you're not going to go to heaven. You're going to go to purgatory. But neither here nor there. You've got to go to church. And do the other sacraments. So we're not, we're not weird like that. We're not saying you have to go to church every Sunday. But I do think that you should expect that God is speaking to you. And, and if that's the case, one of the ways you show God, yeah, God, I think you're speaking to me, is I want to hear what, God, what you said. What did you say? I want to hear that. And, and what it might mean to me. Uh, and so just an encouragement to you to, to, to uh, listen to what God is saying to you through His Word. Verse 6, And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Afraid and dismayed were the natural reaction to how Ezekiel was going to be received. But he was no natural man. He was filled with and empowered by the Spirit of God. Their words would be weapons to inspire fear. Whether they knew it or not, or cared or not, uh, the words of of most of the people that he spoke with would be weapons against him that were designed by the enemy to inspire fear in him, to keep him from preaching the Word of God. Uh, It it, uh, encourages me to think about what I say to others, to think about how it will sound or how it might be received by them Uh, whether or not my words are really words that will build them up or whether they have the potential, at least, to tear them down. I mean, wouldn't you hate for your words to be weapons that are used by the enemy to discourage the servant of God, uh, the the brother or sister in the Lord? Uh, And so, you know, we just want to be careful and think uh, uh, about how our words can build up and encourage. Their looks would be weapons to inspire dismay. I looked up dismay. It can mean to dishearten thoroughly, to break down the courage completely. And so I guess these people were going to make weird faces at Ezekiel. Uh, My pastor in San Bernardino, John Miller, uh, I guess he must be, let's see, am I farsighted? If you can see far away, are you farsighted? Yeah. So he was nearsighted, and so he would always take his glasses off, and if I was teaching, he would squint like this. And then he'd cross his arms. You'd sit there like this and you'd think, man, what is wrong? Did I just say there's no such thing as the Trinity or what? You know, are they, are they going to rush me? I mean, he, you just couldn't look at John. 
You know, you just, he just, but you got used to it. You knew he wasn't, I mean, that's, it was just John, you know. And, uh, but this is a situation where people, you know, they, they, you can tell, did you ever see somebody who just is enraged? Somebody whose countenance completely changes and just, you know, the, the, hopefully you, you don't see it at home. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, this, this, these, Ezekiel was going to preach the word of God and these people were going to get in such a seething kind of a, you know, that they were going to dismay him. He was going to lose courage and become disheartened and wonder. You know, Sammy was talking about, you know, is this guy going to beat me? Are you Sammy Tanago? Maybe. <laughs> Who wants to know, you know? And that kind of a thing. And, and so, again, our countenance can do things to the servant of God. Be aware of the effects you can have for good or for bad. Listen, if you serve the Lord in any capacity, you are going to be attacked by words and by looks. You are. Let it go. Listen only to the Lord's words of encouragement or correction. Look only into the Lord's beautiful face. Let His perfect and perfecting love for you cast out all fear. Don't look at their faces. Back up. Am I teaching the Word of God? Am I walking with the Lord? Am I doing what the Lord really wants me to do? Am I doing it with humility in the leading and in the power of the Holy Spirit? It doesn't cancel out boldness. It doesn't cancel out, hey, I'm going to stand here because this is the Word of God. If I'm doing those kinds of things then I can, I'm just, I just, want to look, I'm just going to look at the Lord. I'm just going to look at His face. And His face is going to uh, be a beautiful face. I'll listen to His words. His words are going to be beautiful words. Uh, I spent some time today because somebody sent me a uh, link. Uh, the Internet, it's it just, it just crazy stuff on the Internet. And... Uh, there's a, a link uh, of people who are, there's lots of these, but this one, it's people who are disgruntled with a certain uh, church and, and pastor. And, uh, you know, uh, it's post after post, all anonymous. Uh, it's not me, by the way. But uh, all anonymous, uh, you know, he's a monster, he's this, he does this, he did that, you know, he doesn't deserve to live practically, you know. I mean, just, you know, terrible things like... You know, and I, yeah, I know people get hurt and wounded, and but I don't know how you justify that kind of thing. I mean, so so basically, you're saying this person isn't acting like a Christian, so I'm going to go online and not act like a Christian, and you know, do worse things than that and stuff. And and you know, we we just need to get control of our words and our looks and our attitudes and and walk with the Lord. Now, the response of the Hebrews to Ezekiel was compared to briars and thorns. It would be as if Ezekiel was coming to them on behalf of the Lord, but they constructed a wall out of briars and thorns. Think razor wire in our uh, you know, modern world. Still, Ezekiel must climb that. Have you ever tried to climb over or through razor wire? Some of you work at the prisons and you've seen the results of that. Uh, it's not pretty. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, well, I, was, I guess I was a senior in high school and uh, I hung around with this one guy. I never forget. John Bartlett was his name. He was one of these guys that was either going to beat you up or be your friend. There was no in between with John, and so I decided he was going to be my friend. Uh, and so, so, and and so I hung around with John every now and then. You know, and we've never paid to get into a football game. We always snuck into the games. But he he somehow knew how to use his jacket to climb over barbed wire, and I somehow did not know how to use my jacket 
to climb over barbed wire. And uh, one night, you know, we're down there way in the corner of the football field and he throws his jacket up over the wire and climbs up over and I throw my jacket up and my jacket might still be there. Uh, as far, I mean, you know, I didn't get cut, but man, I, it just didn't work out. Uh, so you don't want to get over or through barbed wire. And uh, this just, Ezekiel is being told, hey, you're going to be wounded. You're going to be severely wounded. The response of the Hebrews to Ezekiel was also compared to the danger of scorpions. You usually get stung by a scorpion when you tread into their way. Ezekiel is definitely going to be crossing the path of these rebels, exposing their hiding places. Cornered, they would sting him. Sting of a scorpion is sickly and deadly. Verse 7, you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. This verse is a neat summary of the initial call of Ezekiel. He was to speak God's words to the rebellious house of Israel. Rebels and rebellious houses. Let's be careful those words cannot ever be used to describe us. Let's not live on what we think is an edge because it's really not the edge. It's just stepping back into the world. We believe these are the last days. The regathering of Israel in unbelief to the Holy Land, something the book we're reading predicted some 2,500 years ago, it's happening. It gives credibility to all the other prophetic trends we follow. If you think you want to serve the Lord, do it. If you think you want to sacrifice for the Lord, do it. If you think you want to give to the Lord, do it. Because you don't want to be the rebel, you want to be the prophet in this generation. Amen? Amen.